Hello and welcome to Industry Elites. On this podcast, Industry Elites' very own Natalie and Vicky are going to be discussing the latest news trending around the world. Today on Industry Elites, we wanted to dive into the topic of diets and weight loss. Even though it might not be something on everyone's mind right now, we always want to be conscious of new diets that are coming out and what can potentially work for you and what's not even really worth the try. There have been so many diets over the years that are either still implemented by people today or have been a major flaw. We're going to be taking a look at the top diets of 2020 thus far and see if they're effective and trend-worthy or just simply fads that are going to be forgotten when this year comes to end. We're also excited to have weight loss doctor and expert Dr. Jan McBaron as our guest. Dr. Jan McBaron is an award-winning medical doctor, author, public speaker, and medical weight loss specialist with over 30 years of experience. She originally earned her medical doctorate while working full-time as a nurse. She felt that nurses spent more time with patients and were typically very compassionate individuals. She decided her nursing skills coupled with a higher level of education would allow her to marry both careers for the betterment of her patients. After the next 30 years, she specialized in the practice of all medical bariatric non-surgical weight loss. In addition, co-hosted the nationally syndicated health talk radio program, Duke and the Doctor. Given that she herself had struggled with her own weight, finally shredding more than 50 pounds, she was able to connect with her patients on a very personal level. Currently, she has stopped seeing patients on a one-in-one practice. Dr. McBaron is the leading authority and advocate for people who want answers to understand their health, diagnosis, and treatment options. She is currently focused on connecting with a broader base of people as a writer and a public speaker. Welcome to the Industry Elites podcast. Natalie and Vicky here, and we are happy to be joined by Doc, formerly known as Dr. Jan McBaron. Thank you for coming on our podcast today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So we were able to do a bit of research beforehand and kind of see what diets and weight loss programs that people voted to be the most popular so far in 2020. And these are the few that we picked. This list was found on health.usnews.com and they've listed the diets and ratings that we're going to go through today. We're just going to explain the diets a bit and then uh, we'll get Doc here to kind of weigh in with her professional opinion. I'm ready. All right. So the first one that we saw that was super popular in regards to the United States was the Weight Watchers diet. So obviously we've seen lots of promotion for this diet, whether it's TV, whether it's on the internet, and it's just proven for a lot of people to show that it's really, really worked. So it's a point system that guides members overall to a healthy eating pattern in terms of the calories, counting their saturated fats and sugars, as well as maybe helping to promote a higher level of protein. So it could be pricey though at times, it is a membership program. You are able to eat whatever you want, which allows for a lot of flexibility. But obviously these are things that people are trying to sell us. So we want to know, Doc, what is the in and out of your thoughts of what Weight Watchers actually can do for us health-wise? Well, Weight Watchers has been around a very, very long time. I mean, I did Weight Watchers back in the late 70s and early 80s when I was trying to lose weight. So it's evolved over time. And the name Weight Watchers actually got sold to a a commercial company, and then they were selling the foods on in the supermarket, Weight Watchers foods, and then that kind of fell by the wayside because the foods in the supermarket that were labeled Weight Watchers were really not that healthy. So now we've evolved into this point system, and it costs money. It's a membership. Mm-hmm. And so fun- fundamentally, it's certainly arguably probably one of the longest diets, for the lack of a better word, that's been out there, and it's successful for a lot of people. It's extremely popular, but it does cost money. I, I think in the in the long run, for a lot of people, it's not 
it doesn't give them the flexibility that they want. And the reality is if you want flexibility in a diet, I mean, that's inherent in diet if you're going to use diet to define weight loss is restrictions. If you can't eat whatever you want on any diet, I don't care what they're trying to say. You've got to have some type of caloric change along with mm -hmm. caloric deficit. So is it popular? Yes. Is it going to continue to be popular? Yes. If you want to go online and score your points and report to somebody and have your 24-7 live coach, then that's the right place for you to be. Question off of that then, uh, Doc, where do you think it still maintains that popularity? Because it's been around for so long, but what is basically, I guess, the hype around it that keeps it exciting to people? Well, I think it's I think it's two on two levels. Number one, people are really attached to their mobile devices now. So it's, a, you know, if I can do something with my mobile device to help me lose weight, then so be it. And I think mm -hmm. probably it's, it, it keeps you on the phone instead of in the kitchen. And maybe that helps to keep, keep your phone in your hand instead of food in your hand. But <laughs> it also is, you know, it also is the, the, the lure of the 24-7 private coach. I think people like to feel like, you know, if they're raiding the refrigerator at two o'clock in the morning, they can call somebody or text somebody and get some help. So I think that, I think that's popular for that reason. And I think people like groups and memberships are popular for people. That's why gyms are popular because it's a gym membership. Well, I think this is a weight loss membership membership. And I think that it appeals to a certain subset of individuals, even if it is temporary. In other words, if you do it for a month or so, and then you fall off the bandwagon, but you can call your live coach and get back on, that's helpful. So, you know, I don't, I don't use Weight Watchers. I didn't recommend it to my patients, but that's the feedback I've gotten from people that are using it now. I mean, I did Weight Watchers years ago when you got in front of the group and they embarrassed you and, and, and you know, <laughs> it's changed now. So, uh, I was going to say they but, embarrassed you. What? Yeah, that sounds oh, yeah. horrible. Oh, it is horrible. That's how Weight Watchers model used to be. You go in your group therapy and you, if you didn't lose weight, they'd embarrass you and ask you why. And then you learned, oh, all I have to do before I go is donate any carbs for three days and take a couple laxatives and I'll be down a few pounds and they'll get off my case. So it really was very unhealthy for me at the time when I was going through it years and years ago. So I think it's gotten better. I mean, I think that's why it's popular. It's because they have evolved from where they really first started. They're, if they kept that same business model that they had, I don't think they'd be nearly as successful as they are currently. Yeah, especially with the kind of the world today with the body shaming kind of mm -hmm. thing going on online. I don't really think that model would fly anymore. That's right. That would That's cause exactly stress right. eating. So the next we have here is the vegan diet. Basically with the vegan diet, you don't eat any animal byproducts or meat. You just strictly eat plant proteins and vegetables and fruit. Uh, how do you think that kind of goes with working as a diet there, Doc? Do you think that's kind of feasible for the average person or? No, I don't. And I think that the problem with the word vegan is everyone defines it differently. You are correct that a true vegan avoids all animal products. So that's eggs, dairy. You know, I talk to patients who claim they're vegans, but they never miss their ice cream. And it's like, you can't be a, you're not a true vegan if you're going to have ice cream or butter or cheese. You know, everyone defines vegetarian as no meat, no animal products, but it really is no animal products, anything that comes from an animal. I think inherent in this diet now is also this fake meat that's out there now, the Impossible Burger, the Heme Burger. You know, I think there's a tremendous amount of health ramifications associated with that fake food, and it is a fake food, that that is going to come forward in years to come as more and more people eat that. So, and I think a lot of vegans, a lot of people that think they're following a vegan diet think, well, as long as I'm not eating red meat, as long as it's chicken or fish, it's okay. So the true vegan diet as it stands, you can still gain weight on a vegan diet because soda is not an animal product. Iced tea, sweet tea is not an animal product. Fruit juice is not an animal product. And you can definitely gain weight 
if you consume too many calories, even if they're not in the plant kingdom. So I think we're still back to fundamentals of, of the true meaning of a diet for weight restriction. It has to involve caloric restriction. You can't get around it. And so for people that follow the vegan diet, most people, it's not possible for them to do it or they won't do it. They'll do it half-baked. And if they do it completely correctly and stay away from all animal products, they still can gain weight because there are things, as I mentioned earlier, that you can gain weight with that are vegan foods. Mm -hmm. So I think we're definitely like in a society now that's always looking for replacements for things. So I know the one uh, one aspect of being vegan is, or that the back end is that people have said you're obviously losing a lot of nutrients from that. So have you seen potentially patients in the past that have come to you who have tried this diet, but then have been worse off health-wise because they haven't had their whole aspect of all the nutrients they require? Well, I, first of all, the assumption that you have to have animal products in order to get all of your nutrients mm -hmm. is a misnomer. Secondly, everybody, in my opinion, as a physician, everyone who is overweight is nutrient deficient. They've had plenty of calories, but not enough nutrition. So to take that argument just to apply it to people following a vegan lifestyle or a vegan diet, I think is incorrect. Just more so on the general sphere of things, for sure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed a lot of kind of the vegan processed foods, like the Beyond Meat burger and like kind of that cold section you have in the grocery store. If you read the back of these products, there's about a paragraph of things you can't even pronounce on the back, um, which I always kind of find really funny because it's marketed that it's a healthy kind of positive product to get. But at the end of the day, it's kind of no better for you. I think you're right. hundred percent. If you go into a supermarket, I don't need my broccoli labeled or my apples labeled. I mean, I know what they are. They don't need a label. Once you start putting a label on something, they're telling you, you don't know what this is. This is some kind of designer or fake food. And when you write, if people would read the label of the food they're about to eat with the same degree of scrutiny that people read a bottle of vitamins, people will read a vitamin label and scrutinize it to the nth degree and come up with every reason why they shouldn't take a vitamin supplement. If they would do that same thing, apply that same scrutiny to the foods they put in their kitchen cabinets and then ultimately into their bodies, that we would have a healthier country, but we don't because people eat for two reasons. In America, people ask themselves two questions before they eat something and only two questions. And if it satisfies these two questions, they're going to eat it. Number one is how much does it cost? And, the second, and if I can afford it, I'm getting it. And number two is what does it taste like? And if it doesn't taste good, they don't want it. So that's why this fake meat that's out there has to taste good. But nutritionally, it's not good nutrition at all. I think I think if it were really hard-lined and I had to make a choice or recommend to a patient, should they eat an Impossible Burger or should they just go get organic ground meat? I would tell them to go get organic ground meat because I know that's healthier for them. I know it's one slab of meat, one one muscle of the animal that got ground up to make that meat if you're, if you're going to the butcher and you're getting him to grind it up yourself. That's a lot healthier for you than going and getting an impossible burger. So do we think it's a convenience factor for people? Like I think a lot of things that people like now is how quick we can get things. And obviously with quickness doesn't always come healthy. It might, but in most cases with some of these items, it doesn't. So do you think maybe that's also where the, I guess, enticement comes from is that it's quick and easy versus something that will take them longer, but potentially might be healthier? There's no doubt people want convenience. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we want... We want to drive through restaurants. We want, you know, buttons on our cars to turn all the windows down and everything up and all this stuff. And you know, we don't want to do anything that takes any kind of exercise. So we want convenience, that, that we are a convenience-driven population. And yes, these foods make it very convenient for people to just shove calories into their mouth and not think about it. 
but just pretend that they're making a healthy choice. I guess on the note of the convenience, do you think these um, new kind of box delivery meals that are really, really popular right now, do you think there's any kind of merit in them or do you think they're just kind of the same processing? Well, I think I think some of these, and I've been reading about them and talking to people that are, are using good meal services mm-hmm. that, you know, you, you order your meal and it comes and you still cook it, but it's everything in the right portion size for you and your family and it makes it easier. And I think just like anything else, there's some good companies out there that will get you good meals that are healthy for you. And there's some companies that are not so healthy. that are more into, okay, this is easy, throw it in the microwave. And you've got an instant dinner for your whole family. So I, we are convenience driven now. We, with all these time-saving devices that we have, I don't know why we don't have more time to cook, but we don't. And we don't want to cook. And so fundamentally, we want everything fast. And so that's that's problematic unto itself. I think going off the point of wanting everything quickly, the one being now, I guess, within coronavirus, a lot of our situations and our norms have changed and have really gotten people to take a step back and maybe slow down from that very fast-paced lifestyle that they were leading. So I think the one thing is being in quarantine. I don't think I've ever cooked so much in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I was asked to write an article about the, about the weight gain that a lot of people have experienced during the quarantine. And it's, it's really literally is a, is a, I think it's a COVID 20 is what I think most people put on 20. They talk about (laughs) the freshman 15, but certainly most people have really gained weight because for a couple of reasons, number one, they're bored. And when you're bored, you eat, it's something to do. And the second thing is, like you said, you have time to cook more. You have time to putt around the kitchen and do more things and, and get into more trouble. And, and the other thing is, I think that we have in the fear that we were going to go hungry, we overstocked our cabinets with everything and we bought everything in bulk and that unto itself is problematic. I mean, they've clearly done plenty of studies where people who buy things at doors that are the big box stores, you know, you get almost restaurant size servings of your food that those individuals who shop in those kind of places tend to be overall heavier than people that just go buy the standard size of something. And yes, it costs them more money to buy the regular size in a regular supermarket than in the big box stores. But what's the price of your health? I mean, you're eating it just because it's such a large volume. And the other thing is, you know, the hardest place in the world, this is back to the quarantine and gaining weight. The hardest place in the world to have willpower is your own kitchen. It's your own home. Because once you buy food, you've already made the decision you're going to eat it. You make that decision in the supermarket before you ever bring that home. The minute you put it in your car to bring it home, you've made the decision, okay, I'm going to eat this. So once you're at home, your only question is when. It's not a question of am I, it's a question of when. And now's as good a time as any. So that's why people are eating everything. That's what I find when I do when I go grocery shopping. If I just don't buy it, I just won't eat it. I find if I buy a bag of chips, I'll be like, yeah, I'll make this last the week. We all know that's a lie. (laughs) uh, It is. And you know what else? Another big fallacy or lie, as you call it, is true, is the proverbial, this is my, I bought this for the kids. The kids like these cookies or my husband likes this ice cream. Well, if you bought that ice cream for your husband or your significant other, or you bought these cookies for your kid, what are you eating it for? It's your, it's theirs. I mean, you bought it for them, mm-hmm. but what? You know, it's like <laughs> Halloween. When you buy Halloween, you tend to buy your favorite candy. You know, why? So the leftovers you get to eat. You don't. Exactly. I mean, if you really, you really ought to buy candy you don't like and give it to the kids. You know, because then you're not tempted to eat it yourself. But we're onto another topic here. But you know, you're right. Once you buy it, you're going to eat it. So, so that's big part part of the problem. So yeah, I think with even how you guys were saying if you don't buy it, then obviously you're not going to eat it. That's true though. Cause if I'm craving something, I'll be sitting at home and I'm like, Oh, I really wish I had, let's say if that was the ice cream, 
it, there's a really small chance that I'm getting off that couch at like 9.30 at night out of my pajamas to go to closest convenience store or grocery store to pick up that ice cream versus me having to walk maybe a meter to my fridge to get it if I already purchased it. So that's definitely a good way to maybe slow down any cravings we might be having. Well, it is. And that's, that's another, that's the other tip in, in, in supermarket, in shopping in the supermarket. You know, when you, when you stand at the top of that aisle and you know that's the snack aisle, just don't go down it. Just don't go down it. Because when you go down that aisle, you're going to pick something up because it looks good. And and the same thing at the register when you're waiting to check out. Why do you think they have all those candy bars, things up at the register, that last minute impulse? Why don't you just grab a candy bar and eat it, on the, eat it in the car on the way home kind of thing? It's like, and the end caps, always the end caps are always the junks, you know, to get you to, to throw it in your cart. It's, you know, it really does make sense to shop in the supermarket with a grocery list, with what you want and stick to the list and have that discipline there. And then it's a lot easier to carry that discipline into your home. But as I said earlier, it doesn't matter which one of these seven or eight diets that are so popular. You can try to follow any diet you want. And if you're going to bring junk into your house, you're not going to be able to follow any kind of healthy guidelines if it doesn't start by the food you bring into your house and the decisions you make where you go eat in restaurants. So we covered yeah. a lot of ground there. <laughs> we did. Hey, we love we love the conversation. We love to just we start on one topic and then we can end up on the total other side. But we we totally love it. So no worries about that. Um, the next one that was listed on the U.S. Health News site was one that I'd never heard of before, which is a few on this list, but it was called the flexitarian diet. So this mm -hmm. diet is suggesting that you don't need to eliminate meat to still have good weight loss. And then you can also combine it with some health benefit of being vegetarian. So I guess it's kind of balancing the best of both worlds in their eyes. So it's about recognizing, yes, that conscious balance to eat more of the plant-based meals and less meat. It could also help lower heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. So any thoughts particularly on this one? And have you heard of this diet before? Well, I have. And it, it really got became popularized in about 2000 nine, maybe 2010, because a dietitian wrote a book and she espoused this flexitarian diet where she said, let's marry somebody can be flexible, but they can be vegetarian. So it's supposed to be a flexible vegetarian. The limitation to this is you can't follow this quote diet without her book. And it basically divides food into five groups and you eat only those five groups and you have to limit yourself to 1500 calories a day. Well, whenever you try to tell somebody to count calories, you have to realize inherent in calorie counting is failing. You cannot correctly count calories because it is impossible to know really how many calories you're getting on any given meal. Couple that with anyone who's ever kept food diaries and studies have been done on this re repeatedly. And I used to do it with many of my patients in the beginning, many years ago, till I realized that it really wasn't an effective way to help people lose weight. Is in calorie counting, all of the studies have shown that people underreport the calories they're counting. They're not counting them properly and they're also not counting all of so in under reporting them then they under you know they're making a big assumption that that's all they've had and it doesn't work so this flexible marrying flexibility with vegetarianism based on this dietitian's book is maybe admirable but i think inherent in that is its problem and i think that's part of the reason you haven't heard of it because it just never really caught on because it really is not practical and if you don't like fruits and vegetables and you don't like cooking at home then you don't need to be following this kind of food plan 
because that's two of the big tenets to her program is you got to stay home and cook and you have to like fruits and vegetables and lots of fruits and vegetables. I feel like a lot of fruits and vegetables. I was just going to say how many would that like even equate to like per day? Like if someone was in- inhibiting this diet, what would that look like in a day-to-day of serving life? Well, okay. So when she talks about the five food groups, she talks about what she calls her new meat and that's beans and peas. And then she throws in eggs. She says eggs are fine. Then she lifts the second food group is fruits and vegetables. Well, I think you should put fruits and vegetables each in their own category and not put them as one category because she puts whole grains, which is so interesting, whole grains. Who eats whole grains? Most people don't. They eat some type of processed grain. Uh, Then she also talks about dairy. She says dairy is its own food group. So now here she is bousing vegetarianism, but you can have eggs and dairy. And then the the fifth category she talks about is sugar and spices. Well, how are you supposed to lose weight on sugar? White refined table sugar. And you know, so the other way she has her meal plan, she ascends with her caloric intake. So she has you having most of your calories at dinner, less at lunch, and the least amount at breakfast. And then she has you have two snacks at 150 calories each. So that's how you get to your 1500 calories. And, and so when you say a lot of fruits and vegetables, you know, there are people that, and I'm not going to put you guys on the spot, but I used to ask my patients, take a diabetic, for example. If you ask a diabetic, when's the last time they ate a piece of fruit? They'll say, oh, I'm diabetic. I can't have fruit. But the American Diabetic Association's Diet for Diabetics says you should eat fruit. You see? <laughs> but diabetics say, oh, I can't have fruit. Okay. So most individuals, I think in this country, if you were to poll them, you would be lucky to find overweight people who eat at least one to two pieces of fruit every day. They don't do it. I didn't do it when I was 50 pounds overweight. I didn't eat fruit. You know, the other thing you'll hear, you'll hear people say bananas. Oh, don't eat bananas. Bananas are high in calories. That's what patients will say to me. And I'm oh. like, you can eat as many bananas as you want. You can swing from the trees for all I care. Bananas are not going to hurt you. <laughs> They're not going to hurt you. They're not going to hurt you. Bananas are not going to hurt you. They're healthy for you. They're a lot healthier than half the stuff people eat. So fruits and vegetables are valuable. Now, the for the proper level of vitamins and minerals, what the government recommends is nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. I think I get nine, nine in a month. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that's exactly right. And, and so that's why that feeds back into what I said earlier about why overweight individuals should be taking a good multiple vitamin and mineral. Well, we all should, but they really should because they haven't had the nutrition that they need. I mean, I'm thin. I'm not underweight, but I'm thin. I wear a size six. So, and I used to wear a size 24. So bottom line is I don't even get nine servings of fruits and vegetables a day. I hope to get between four and six every day faithfully, but even that's not always possible. So I think this flexitarian diet in summary is not easy to follow. I think it's a fad and I think it's a fad that faded after the popularity of her book. And that's why you didn't hear of it before this. Fair to say. So you're going to love this next one then with all that, because this one has very many layers and embodies everything that was diet and fitness in the late 70s. So this is called the, I'm going to probably say this wrong, but the Ornish diet. Um, That's right. It was created in 1977 and basically the diet's low fat, fine carbs, and animal protein. That's not all on the diet side. It also emphasizes basic exercises like aerobic, stress management, and relationship with a mixture of yoga, meditation, and full zen. Oh. So how do you feel about that one there, Doc? All right. Well, first of all, I know Dr. Dean Ornish personally. Oh, wow. I have sat on panels with him giving expert opinions at different conferences. So I have a lot of respect for Dean Ornish, who wrote the book 
who pioneered true lifestyle changes, not just a diet. And he's got a very successful wellness clinic that he runs in California. And he does espouse to whole foods, to plant-based foods, to minimal processed foods, to low fat and sugar. And then he takes it a step further beyond just the diet of what we eat into becoming a whole person, into stress management, into meditation. And people will will quickly think of meditation as, as a religion. People that don't meditate will think of meditation as a religion or this this mysterious thing that you do with your brain. And, you know, it's, it's prayer. Meditation is prayer or prayer is meditation. It's mindfulness. Now, who's going to fault prayer? Very few people are going to say don't pray, but that's what, I mean, it, prayer is a form of meditation and that's not sacrilegious. That's not designed to knock any religion because I pray, but I also meditate. So I think Dr. Ornish stepped out of the norm of dieting and say, let's just focus on what we eat to saying, let's work on the whole person. Let's look on balance. Let's look on stress management. Let's look on, you know, healthy, positive outlook on life. And I think that's admirable. I think that's admirable, but I think he's, you know, very much of a purist for most people can't follow that or won't follow. Most people will not follow the restrictions that Dr. Ornish espouses to. And if they did, we wouldn't live in the United States of obesity, or I wouldn't live in the United States of obesity. <laughs> now, I've always said, and I'm not, I'm not the only one to have said this, that there are six, six of the best doctors in the world. The six best doctors in the world are sunshine, fresh air, sleep or rest, exercise, diet, and water. If you do those six things, if you incorporate those six things into your life every single day, you really will not have a weight problem. We wouldn't have diabetes, heart disease, cancer, half the people that have acne, chronic headaches, half of the chronic things that we have are as a gross imbalance in those six things. And I think of all these diets that we're going to talk about today, or are talking about today, that Dr. Ornish is the only plan that really does address those six things. And you know, they say, I always espouse for weight loss and what I've been able to do all these years to keep my weight under control is the 80-20 rule. If 80% of the time you do things for yourself that take care of yourself better. I mean, your body is your house and you can take care of it any way you want, but you know, you just can't move and you only get one. So you may as well take care of it as best you can because it is all you have and you got to live in it day in and day out. So why not be the best you can be? And if you do these six things, then you're going to be balancing yourself to be healthier and you're not going to have half these diseases that we have and half the mental issues that we have, mental health issues that we have. So those are good things to do. But yeah, I do like the Dean Ornish program, but it is hard to follow. The diet portion of his plan is, is hard to follow. But you know what? If you do the other things that he talks about, if you do exercise and you do stress management and you and you and you get plenty of rest and you try to have a positive mental outlook and you have some balance in your life then it then you don't want the junk food you don't want to eat crap i mean if i have a you know we, we take better care of our cars and our pets than we do our our own self i mean you ever watch people on a trip somewhere they stop the car so the dog can get out and get some exercise while they stand and lean up against the side of the car yeah. it's like you have just sat in the car as long as the dog why don't you exercise your legs you know you stop to get the dog water when do we drink water we don't we drink soda you know, it's like, that's very it's, true. It's crazy. Soda or tea or juice. And, you know, we are, patients used to say to me, well, soda has water in it. I mean, right. Well, if you won't shampoo your hair or wash your car in it, it's not water. If you're not going to put it on the outside of your body and bathe in it, you shouldn't put it on the inside of your body. We are almost 70% water. And, that's hilarious. I love that argument. And, I mean, <laughs> it's the truth. We are 70% water and, and our body does not react to soda 
and sweet tea, it, do, it doesn't process it the way it processes water. And I always have said to my patients, especially my female patients, you know, what is the difference between a grape and a raisin? The only difference between a grape and a raisin is water. That's it. So do you want your skin to look like a grape or do you want to walk around looking like a raisin? Ever see people lose weight and look 10 years older because their skin's crinkly and saggy and they look older? Well, that's because they didn't drink enough water while they were losing weight. For every molecule of fat you lose, you lose two molecules of water. If people would just simply switch all of their beverages to water, that unto itself would help people lose weight. I mean, we're searching here trying to find, oh, the perfect diet and using the word diet to mean weight loss. So here we are going over all these diets when like we're not, none of these address water. None of these address the beverages we drink or they, they should address it. But, you know, we're so worried about the, the macronutrients. We're not worried about the micronutrients in the water. That is a really good point. Because when we were kind of going through and making the notes to break down all these diets that we found, not a single one mentioned anything to drink. Like not even on the good side of that. Like if you were going to drink more water, or have a smoothie instead, nothing mm -hmm. mentioned right. it. There are six reasons we eat and only six reasons. That's it. There's six things we need every day to sustain life. All six of these we need every day for optimum health. We need carbohydrate, protein, fat, vitamins, minerals, and water. And do you know, if I was going to ask you this, let me ask you this, Natalie and Victoria. If you did not eat anything at all, not one morsel of food, how long would it take till you die? Like a week? Average person. Not even over a week. An average person. A week. Okay. A week, all right. yeah. I wouldn't even know a couple of days. So I'd say three days. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. It would take me, and I am a normal weight individual. I'm not overweight. I'm not underweight. It would take me six months. Wow. But, I would have never, never and, you know, I know. My patients, will say, my, yeah, my patients will say, I'm starving to death by dinner. I'm like, no, 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 no. It takes a lot longer to starve than you think. I'm <laughs> starving by dinner. <laughs> it takes a good six months without eating any food until you'll starve to death. And you know what you ultimately die of, by the way? What? You die of vitamin deficiencies. Oh, you die right. of vitamin deficiencies. You don't die of a carbohydrate, protein, or fat deficiency. You die of vitamin and mineral deficiencies. That's what kills you. And okay, now here's the next question, and then we'll move on to the next diet. My next question I have for you is, how long would it take to die if you did not have any water? Uh, I feel like this one has to be a short term. I'm going to go two days. I'll say a week this time. Well, you're closer. It's two Oh. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, that, why do people die in the desert? They don't die. You know, they can take food with them and they won't die, but they, they will die if they don't have water with them. Do you know in the desert that anything and everything will grow in the desert as long as there's water? As long as there's water. You can plant anything in the world in the desert. Now, I'm saying in the world. There's probably somebody out, some botanist out there that's going to correct me on this. But for the most <laughs> part, for the most part, if you, you can plant any plant, shrub, bush, seedling in the desert and as long as you provide it water it'll grow but the point is that we need to drink more water and like you say we look at all these diets and nobody's really addressing water and how valuable it is it's really really valuable one thing i think one of the many things i took from what you were saying was as soon as you said the grape to the raisin analogy i was like i need to go and drink a gallon of water after we get off this like <laughs> podcast because i can envision like i'm gonna be a wrinkly raisin if i don't well, drink more water it, i mean it's the truth i mean i mean any good esthetician will tell you that as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's great when they you go and they, you know, your water sprayed on your face, but that's not the same as drinking it internally and then having it. Because your skin is seven layers, by the way. And layer five, six, and seven are the ones that are the ones that receive, they're alive. They get the nutrients. The top three layers are dead. And basically the the seven layers of skin are like a moving escalator. Every 28 days, layer seven is moved up to the top and gets sloughed off. And so 
good skin health really depends on the inside. That's why anybody with acne, anybody with, even with psoriasis or some of these skin conditions, you know, you have to start with hydration and, and nutrients. So that layer seven, by the time it gets to the top, which is what you can see, is healthy. And so if you just drink more water, it makes a big difference in your skin, huge difference in your skin. See, I used to laugh at the Evian bottle that you can get at Sephora, the water spray, but I mm-hmm. take back all of that now and I'm yeah. probably going to go buy one <laughs> knowing that. <laughs> Well, you should drink water. You absolutely should drink water. That's okay, really, I want really to. <laughs> I want to change. Uh, we'll keep on the same topic for right now. But before we change on to the next diet, I want to just touch on one of the things from the Ornish diet, which is incorporating um, how to help manage stress through meditation and yoga. So, I honestly am reading this now, and we were researching before. I think I was like, I want to put this all over my social media and tell anybody who's in social isolation right now that they need to do this because I think they were saying the percentage of those who are now suffering with higher levels of anxiety and stress just from being in these different like circumstances of the whole things that coronavirus brings us, they've heightened immensely. So I think by even just really pushing this to people to say like, no, see like before the coronavirus even happened, this was so crucial. So now imagine how much more crucial it is with the amount of stress that people are probably suffering right now. Well, you're absolutely right. And on a on a light note, I've always said to my patients, stressed is dessert spelled backwards. <laughs> when we're stressed, but there's a reason for this. When we're stressed, when we're stressed, our cortisol level goes up. And cortisol is a very damaging, damaging hormone the longer it circulates. So cortisol High levels of cortisol on a regular basis are very, very unhealthy. They're unhealthy mentally. They're unhealthy for the inflammation in our body they cause. They're unhealthy for our ability to make decisions. We don't think clearly when we're under a lot of stress. And everybody knows that. I mean, if you're trying to, you know, if you're stressed about something and you're trying to think of the answer, it's like you get very nervous and you can't think. But if you just, you know, slow down, take a deep breath, and that lowers cortisol, by the way, take a deep breath. You know, that helps. But one other thing about stress right now, I predict, or I anticipate, and I hope I'm wrong, but I I think this is what I can predict. I don't have a glass ball, but here's what I think. (laughs) I do think that people will be more stressed once we get out and we get back about our business, because we're not going to go back to life the way it ever was before. This has changed the world globally, not just country by country. All of us have been so impacted by this, that we will not go back to normal. We go, we will go back to a new norm. And whenever you have to do something new or there's change in your life, that's very stress provoked. So I think unto that self, we've got a new set of challenges as we get out of this quarantine and as we start trying to go about our business. But I do want to say this about stress for just a minute on a very serious note. Not that I wasn't serious before, but I was kind of joking about the stress in desserts. What, what is stress? What actually is it? If you had to define it, what would you say it is? Well, stress, Stress is actually our reaction to the environment. It's our reaction. It's how we perceive or how we feel about what is happening around us. And it is a feeling of being out of control. So one of the best ways to feel less stress is to look at a situation and say, okay, what part of this can I control? And when you can feel that you have a sense of control about something, however small it is, your stress level goes down. So I just ask all of us as we are in this situation and going forward more stressful situations, just stop for a minute and ask yourself, okay, what part of this can I control? And if you can find some part of it that I can control, that you can that you feel like you can control, you'll feel better. You'll feel less stress. You'll absolutely feel less stress. The more in control you feel, the less stress you'll feel. 
So it's your reaction to the environment. You ever see people that under certain times of stress, like they seem cool as a cucumber and other people are whizzing out of control? Yeah. It's because the ones whizzing out of control are the ones that don't feel like they have any control over anything. I can definitely see that. I think with some people even, like they could experience both of those sides of things. Like there could be things like that you've experienced before that you kind of have a handle on maybe. So you're used to that maybe level of stress that you can understand it, cope with it a bit easier. But then bringing this, like we said, to a new norm, people don't really know how to maybe handle themselves and if you're not really having those coping mechanisms maybe and then doing all these things that you could be doing to help yourself out like how we're saying like just going outside getting that fresh air drinking more water taking a little bit of that exercise control i can only imagine the state that we're probably putting our bodies through we're not even doing the small things that we can be doing to help this situation a little bit more you're right i agree with you This brings us to the end of part one of our sit down with Dr. Jan McBaron. Join us next week for part two. And as always, thanks for listening.